Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from September 19th by Pastor Andy, titled, The Seven Churches of Revelation, The Church at Sardis. Uh, Jonathan Farrell, he was driving in North Carolina one night. He was in an accident. He manages to, to get out of the car by going through the back window or the back glass. He runs to the nearest house that he can see, begins knocking on the door. The lady sees some guy knocking on her door. She's not sure what's going on. She presses her panic button on her alarm system and notifies the police there's an intruder. So the police show up. So when Jonathan sees the police, he begins to, to run toward the police for help. He needs help. The police think they're responding to a breaking and entering. They see Jonathan run toward them. They're not sure what's going on. One of them takes out his taser because he's not responding. He takes his taser to shoot him, and the taser it doesn't work. So the other policeman pulls out his gun and shoots him and kills him. Here he is running to the police for help, and he winds up being shot dead. A lot of times that's what people sometimes find in the church. Their lives are a wreck. They need help. They come to the church for help, and rather than receiving help, a lot of times they feel like they get shot down, shot dead. In fact, apparently it's pretty common because Barna did a survey of people born between uh, 1967 and 2002. And they asked him the question, what's one word you'd use to describe the church? 87% of them. 87% 87% said the word they'd use to describe church was, would be judgmental. Judgment, not love. Hey, if we're a place where people need help and they come to and, and they find the door shut, we don't really need to be a church anymore. This needs to be a place that when people need help, when their lives are a wreck, that they find the, the doors are open. Now, the other side of that, it's a whole lot easier for the church to give help to other people if we know what their needs are. And especially if we just know their name. Because a lot of times, people, they just come in out Sunday morning, out Sunday morning. We don't know what their needs are. We don't know even what their names are a lot of times. See, the church is meant to be a place where we're connected to one another. Connected enough to pray for one another. Connected enough to, to know what each other's needs are. Connected enough to encourage one another. Here's something that that I want you to learn. We may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. That's how we get connected. In a church, we need each other. As Christians, we need each other. Nobody can mature in isolation. You can't do the Christian life alone. As we said many times before, uh, and when it comes to, to, to being a, a Christian, we, we talk about the idea uh, that your faith may be personal, but it's never meant to be private. Now, here, here's the thing that, uh, that that's, makes this weird in, in our culture today. What sociologists tells us is because of social media, we're connected more than ever before that people are connected with each other more than they ever have been. You can go to 
Texas Roadhouse and be eating your food and take a picture of your food so people can be jealous of your blooming onion or whatever you're eating at that time and send it out to hundreds of people. But what sociologists are finding is even though we're more connected than we ever have been before, people are lonelier than they ever have been before. And that loneliness is very tangible and it's very real. And this is what they're discovering today, that social media offers the illusion of connection without even the, the demands of a relationship. In other words, if I can have a relationship and it doesn't cost me anything, sign me up. But that's not the way things work. And that's what social media is doing now, is pushing an illusion of being connected with other people, but without any demands of a relationship. And the way that works in a church, a lot of times the people will come into a church and they're just here, you know, maybe Sunday morning and gone, maybe for a brief time and gone, and, and they'll say, after, you know, a year or so, boy, I just never really felt connected. There's just something wrong with the church. Well, maybe there's nothing wrong with the church. Maybe you're expecting to have a connection without any commitment until we're willing to risk until we're willing to, to come out and, and show some commitment th that's the only time that a real connection really happens that real relationships happen and, and so i'm hoping that you will consider taking a risk getting involved in a small group where we have a chance to know your name have a chance to to know your life and what's going on in your life and so we're, we're sort of trying to take all our small groups and, and, and take them the way they are and make them better. Because all our small groups, they're all very different. They all have strengths. They all have weaknesses. Maybe some need to connect more with, with fellowship and, and maybe doing some service projects and things. Maybe some need to connect more together in prayer and praying for one another. Maybe some need to connect more with accountability because you spend that whole hour, hour and a half, whatever it is, going through a lesson, but, but then that's it. You just learn something and nobody asks you how you're applying that to your life. There's different ways that we can be more connected. And that's what has to happen for, for real relationships to take place. There has to be that commitment. And what I hope you've learned as we're going through these seven churches is that Jesus cares about the church. The church is his body. He's the head. The church is his body. So of course he loves the church. So be careful about dissing the church that he loves. Guys, try telling your wife, I love your face, but I can't stand the rest of your body and see how well that goes over. The church is his body. And as we discover through these letters, he, 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 he loves the church. He knows what's going on. And he wants the church so much to be what he expects the church to be. So bottom line is the church deserves your commitment. Okay, the church deserves your commitment. Now, what we also get from looking at these seven letters is exactly what Jesus expects of us. Because what Jesus does in each of these letters that he writes to these churches is he emphasizes maybe one thing that they're doing well, or most of the churches, one thing that they're not doing very well. And if they miss that one thing, if they don't hold to that, that they're doing well, or else they, they don't correct the things that they're not doing well, Jesus says, look, I'm done with you as a church. You know, your, your light's going to go out. You're, you're, not, you're not standing up and meeting the challenge that I have for you. You're not conquering what you need to conquer. You're, you're being a disobedient, faithless church. 
And here's the thing that, that we talk about a whole lot around here. A church can never be corporately what it is not individually. And the way this plays out in these letters, Jesus begins these letters, each one of them talking to the church corporately, but he ends them all the same way, talking to individuals. And so what he's saying is like, you need to understand, this is what I expect from you. You want to know what Jesus wants from your life? You find that out in each of these seven letters. Because Jesus takes it down and focuses to the individuals. In other words, you need to read this. This is what Jesus wants of your life. He expects you to love him. He expects you to hold to the truth. He expects you to endure suffering. He expects you to take advantage of opportunity. He expects you to live a holy life. And today in Sardis, we're going to see where he expects you to be alive. To be walking in reality. So let me begin by telling you a little bit about Sardis. Sardis is actually plural because there were two areas, if you want to call them little cities, little different parts of Sardis that made up the city of Sardis. One was in a valley. The other was 1,500 foot up, a mountain ridge that had a, 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 a plateau extending out from it, a very rocky plateau. And the other part of the city was on that rocky plateau that extended out from that mountain ridge. And it had very steep sides. And the only way into that part was very narrow. So an approaching army couldn't go through there. And so whenever there was an army coming to take over Sardis, all the people from the valley, they would just move up to that rocky plateau and they're safe. It was impregnable. But twice, 300 years apart, Sardis fell. Not because somebody figured out how to, to break their way into the city. It fell the same way both times because there was nobody on guard. They were asleep at night. And so they thought, we're in prayer. Nobody can break into this place. And so they were just sound asleep. And somebody came in. If they just had a guard, just one, maybe two guards, on a, nothing would have happened. But because they felt like they were safe, felt like they were okay, they fell. The latter time was in Cyrus of Persia. He was coming to Cyrus to, to overthrow it. And in it was impregnable. What could he do? I mean, he had this huge, powerful army, but what could he do? There was no way to do it. So he offered riches to any soldier of his that could figure out a way to take down Sardis. And so one day, uh, up this steep cliff uh, on the wall of the city was a Sardis so soldier who dropped his helmet. And so it goes boom, 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 soared down the cliff. And so he Climbs over the wall, and he scales down the cliff, gets his helmet, scales back up the cliff and, and over the wall. And one of Cyrus's soldiers saw that, and the best he could memorize his path. And that night, he started scaling up the wall. He gets to the wall. There's nobody on guard. They think, that they think they're impregnable. He climbs over the wall, goes to the gate, opens the gate up, and lets the army in. And so Jesus is telling Sardis, you think you're impregnable? You need to wake up. You think you're alive. You're just dead. You just don't know it yet because you're asleep. You're not paying attention to what's going on. So let's read what he says in the first uh, three verses, chapter three. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. 
For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. So there's a lady named Nicole DeLeon. Lives in Pennsylvania. She has sleeping beauty syndrome. She sleeps like 19 hours a day. And there are times when she's asleep. She will get up in bed. Her eyes will be open. She may go to the bathroom. She may even go get something to eat. But she's in this twilight stage. And she'll go back to bed. She has no memory of what she's done. So on the outside, she looks like she's awake. But really what's going on, she's still sound asleep. And that's what Jesus is saying to Sardis here. You look like you're awake. You look like things are going well, but you're asleep on the inside. And they had a reputation for being alive as a church. They had a great reputation. Boy, look what's all going on at Sardis. What a great church. But there's a different dialogue going on in heaven. They thought they were alive, but in heaven they said, no, 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 you're not alive at all. See, every year in America, over 3,000 churches close their doors. But they were dead long before the initial notice came. They're like Samson, who when the Spirit of God left them, he says he didn't even know it. And they're like, they're dead and they don't even know it. So, here's a question for you. What would things look like if Satan actually took over a city? The first thing that comes to mind to me is mayhem, violence, immorality in all its forms. Churches shut down. Christians taken off to jail. But Donald Barnhouse, he's a commentator, and he looks at it a different way. He says this. He says, if Satan actually took over a city, all the bars would be closed. Pornography banished. And pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ was not preached. See, we long for nice, clean streets. We long for people to be respectable for each other. We long for, for drunkenness and, and, and immorality and all that just to be gone. We long to have our churches full. That's what we want but not the expense of spiritual life. Not where we're actually being dead inside. And see, that's the thing about this church of Sardis. There's no mention of persecution like these other churches. There's no mention of Satan. Why? He's not going to attack a dead church. What's the point? They're already dead. See, a lot of times the church can look so much like the world that even the world's fine with the church. And that's what's going on here, here at Sardis. Does anybody here remember the name Anthony Soule? He was a guy in Cleveland who had killed 11 women and buried them in his house and in his basement. And there's just weird places all in there. And if you just drove by his house, you wouldn't know the difference. You'd say, oh, what a nice house. You know, nice little tight, nice looking house. But what gave it away was the stink. The neighbors began complaining about the smell. And the smell on the outside led to the investigation on the inside. And that's what Jesus is saying to Sardis. 
The problem is I'm smelling something. And, and what that is, is just because there's something on the inside is dead. There's, there's deadness inside of you. So what does a dead church look like? A dead church may not look like what you'd expect. Remember, they had a good reputation. So they looked alive on the outside, but really they were dead. There was no spiritual life. So what does that look like? Here's a couple of verses and see if you can see the, the echo of this in these verses. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. You see the echo? They looked alive, but Jesus says, there was no connection with me. You never did my will. You had no connection going on. You may look good on the inside, but as far as Jesus is concerned, you're dead. So what does a dead church look like? What else? Some churches die because they get stuck in the past. He says to them, you have a name, you have a reputation. And you think that would be a good thing. A church wants to have a good reputation, right? Yes, it's a good thing. A good reputation, though, can be a bad thing when you spend so much time talking about remember when and not talking about what comes next. When you spend so much time focused on what was done in the past and not what needs to be done right now. See, what we need to understand is that dead things don't change. And a lot of times churches die because they refuse to change. Change is hard, but it is proof of life. How many of you guys under 25 years of age have ever even seen a typewriter? Yeah. A typewriter is one of those things they use... A long time ago is a nice way to say it. To communicate, to have communication going on, something using the, the dark ages, I guess would be a good way to put it. About 10 years ago, the last plant, this 10 or 12 years ago, something like that. Anyway, the last plant that produced typewriters closed their doors. Why? Nobody buys them anymore. Not because they don't work. But because the goal is clear, effective communication fast, and a typewriter doesn't do that. It does clear communication, just not fast. And so my kids, they may, have saw, they may have seen a typewriter when they were little, but my grandkids have never even seen a typewriter. They don't even know what that looks like. Uh, and and here's, here's the thing. Do you want to be a part of a movement or a museum? See, museums honor the past. We should talk about the past and what God has done about the past, but we shouldn't revere the past. Two things I want you to catch from this. If we value reputation more than mission, we're dead church walking. Mission has to take precedence. Second thing, when a church is more about who it can keep rather than who it can reach, it begins to die you got to be focused on the future. you got to be focused on, on what's next. All right, another reason churches die. Some churches die because they're full of hypocrisy. They're taught, this is the way you act. This is the way you talk. This is the way you do things in church. But there's no 
corresponding inward reality to it. They're just pretending. Some of you years back may remember the name Andre Agassi. He was a big tennis player and one of the best in the world at the time. He did an interview in People's Magazine in which to everybody's surprise, he says, I don't like tennis. In fact, I hate it. He said, my father decided before I was born that I'd be the number one tennis player in the world. He said, I never chose this life. So he is playing the game. You watch him play the game. You think, boy, he loves it. He's so good at it. But that's not what was going on on the inside. He hated the game. He was just pretending. And a lot of people, they come to church, but they may come to church because of a lot of different reasons, but it's not to connect with God. There may be pressure on them from family members or something at the Bishop Church, but they don't really have a connection with God. There's a pharmaceutical company that produced a drug to treat hep C. And several years back, they had this commercial. And I still remember it because it was... It, it's one of those you have to use as an illustration at some point as you're a pastor because it had this face on there and the face began to get just marred and distorted and, and skins coming off and sores and stuff. I mean, just really gross looking. And, and then they said this, if hep C attached your face, attacked your face rather than your liver, you'd do something about it. In other words, if you could see on the outside what's going on on the inside, you would do something about it. And that's what Jesus cried to the church of Sardis are. If you, if you could see, I know on the outside you look okay, but if you could see what's going on the inside, you would do something about it. You have these issues. And there's no reality there. So what Jesus is trying to do is to get this church of Sardis to see, hey, you may have a reputation, but really there's nothing going on the inside. What does that look like? It looks like people that will come to church on Sunday morning and sing about amazing grace, but refuse to give grace to people in their lives. It looks like people who come to say, yes, God, forgive me all my sins, but they refuse to forgive the people that God has put in their life. It looks like people who never let their faith have any influence on their money or their entertainment. Who will be glad to thank Jesus for dying for their sins and then go watch a sitcom and laugh about the very sins that Jesus died for. People who have no reality. Here's another description of a dead church. We see this in 2 Timothy. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. And here we go. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, Disobedient to parents, which, by the way, kids, that makes a lot of lists in the Bible. It makes the one in Romans chapter 1, so it makes that list too. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying his power. Avoid these people. But let's go back to where we started. You know how churches die? Churches die because individuals die. 
We all like to talk about what's wrong with the world. And then we say, okay, there's something wrong with the church too. Then all like, well, it's the other people in the church. But we don't want to say it's because of us. A church dies because individuals die. But here's the thing. Jesus tells the church to repent. In other words, you can come back to life. The lizard can grow another tail. Right? It can happen. You can see life, life can come back. One of my favorite stories, Joseph Gusev, he's 70, 76 years old in Poland. He was a beekeeper. He got stung by a bee. Of course, beekeeper gets stung by a bee. You think that happened a lot. But he got stung by a bee, and his heart stopped. The doctor came out and pronounced him dead. Took him to the undertakers. He puts him in a coffin, closes the coffin. Later on, his wife calls up the undertaker and says, he's got this necklace on. I, want, I don't want that to be buried with him. Can you take the necklace off? So he opens up the coffin, reaches around, takes the necklace off, and feels a pulse. Gets to the hospital where he fully recovers. And for overflow with gratitude, he gives the undertaker a big pot of honey. But the point is this. There's so many ways that people can become dead. But however that happens, God is able to bring them back to life. God can instill life, but it's up to them again. They have that choice of whether or not they want to repent or not. And God can bring life back to withers death. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.